You're listening to The Interrobang Room, a podcast that challenges individuals to be passionately curious. My name is Douglas Witherup, and I'm the senior pastor to the Multiply family of churches. Join us as I sit down with industry leaders as we laugh, converse, and sometimes debate our way through how to approach life with a spirit of discovery and adventure. Hey, welcome to the Interrobang Room. I'm your host, Doug Witherup, here with John Hernandez and Zach Witt. Guys, we got an interesting topic, <laughs> or, a, or, at least, <laughs> or at least an interesting topic to the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see who stays with us on this one. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll find out who the, who the real nerds are. There Come on go. with it. Who the real Interrobang fans are uh, as we dive into this one. Listen, here's, the, here's my... Here's my question, and I have no idea what I believe on it, so you guys got to argue me one way or the other. But here's my question. Will COVID-19 end up being the death of what we've called post, post-modernity? Will COVID-19 end up being the death of, of post-modernity? So let me give, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a quick history lesson, you know, just condense the past 2,000 years of global <laughs> history into five minutes. And without trying to oversimplify things of what is modernity, these are the two terms that you have to understand that you'll have to understand. Um, what is modernity? What is postmodernity? And then what is what is on the other side of this? So uh, really, Zach, I'm just asking you to predict what is the next thousand years of human history going to look like based on a simple question. There you all right? go. That's there you a go. Simple, simple thing. So, all right, here we go. Modernity. Modernity. This is um, basically what modernity meant. It was science's king. It was the belief in absolute truth, and the mantra of modernity was, if it, it, it's true if you prove it. It's true if you prove it. So think scientific method, right? Like, like uh, I, I want facts. I want it proven. If it's not science, then it doesn't exist. So this filtered over into, into the church, and the church uh, began to undergo a lot of criticism uh, through that era, and it was called historical criticism, textual criticism. There was a lecture series that came out at that time called, um, uh, what was it? What, I thought I wrote it down what it was called. The Jesus Project. Told You. What it was, Zach. Now you got to don't say remember. my name and look <laughs> at me because that remember. pulls me into where you are. <laughs> it wasn't the Jesus lecture series. It was, uh, anyways. the 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 idea of it was basically this. Um, the lecture series was on the historical Jesus, and so if you're listening to this and if you're a follower of Christ, you may think, "Oh, well, great! What a fun lecture series." Um, we'll find out more about the history of Jesus. No, that's not what it was. So it was separating. The idea was we're going to, there was a real person. This is the idea of the lecture series. There was a real person who walked this earth named Jesus. And there was a historical narrative around him. But what you get in the Bible, the four gospels, is all of the miracles and the teachings and that stuff was just added hundreds of years later mm. by his followers. So the miracles, people just made that up. That's myth. So let's get down to the real, because, right, modernity, scientific method. So if you can't prove a miracle, how did Jesus open a blind guy's eyes with mud? If you can't prove that scientifically, then it then it didn't exist. It didn't happen. Um, so then, then we go, we have this movement. 
and it's been within our lifetime, the three of us sitting, so so 40-ish, Zach's 30-ish, so I won't lump him into all of that, but um, we have this, we have this movement um, of towards post-modernity, and it began in the universities. So where most people say this began was with a, a person named Jacques Derrida, and it began as a literary movement in universities. So what I mean by literary movement is that they would read Charles Dickens. And instead of asking the question, what did Charles Dickens mean when he wrote this novel, the question shifted and became, John, what does this mean for you? So do you, do you hear the difference? That's really, really significant. Yeah. So I'm not asking what did Charles Dickens, not what did the author write uh, when he wrote this. Now I'm asking, John, how did this make you feel? What is, what is your truth? So you have a move from modernity of absolute truth to post-modernity. There is no absolute truth. It's about my truth. If the mantra in modernity was, it's true if you prove it, the mantra in post-modernity became, it's true if I experience it. And again, this, this affected the church, both positively and negatively. So both of, both of these movements have affected the church, both positively and negatively. In modernity, it was a, an attack on miracles. In post-modernity, it's, uh, it's an attack on the Bible. So how, who's, who says the Bible's true? Who says that morality is this? Who says uh, that if I feel this, that that isn't, that isn't my truth? The, the positive to it would be that there is a renewed interest in spirituality, at least as a, uh, the church looks at it, that there's a renewed interest in spirituality, that, um, that there is an openness to the miraculous and to the supernatural. So uh, there it is, 2,000 years in five minutes. Thus the question, is is COVID-19 the death of post-modernity? And here's what, I'm, here's what I mean by that. So now we are living in a society where we don't know who to believe, right? We don't know who to believe. So the World Health Organization, are they giving us facts or are they giving us their truth? Mm. Is the CDC giving us facts, mm. medical facts, or are we hearing their truth, this doctor, this, and we can find any, pick something you want to believe. Yeah. Pick, pick anything. I don't care how off the wall it is. And you can find a YouTube documentary somewhere that yeah. will, that will reinforce. Yeah. So either are people going to, are people going to say, whoa, this whole my truth thing, it is literally causing death in our world. Mm. Uh, or, or is are we going to go into the other side of this, John? You use this term. Are we going to go into hyper modernity? Yeah. So Zach, let me let me start with you. What mm. what is your thoughts? Do you think that there is a possibility that COVID nineteen will end post modernity? I, I think so. I, I think we've uh, entered into this uh, propaganda era. Um, so Philip Roth wrote this in nineteen sixty one. He said, "Truth is stranger than fiction." And I think that's an era that we're seeing in response to things that are happening in our world. Right. Tr truth is stranger yeah. than fiction. Uh, we don't know what to believe. Uh, and, and I would say this propaganda slowly erodes democracy. If we, uh, for us, what we do now as a society is we go on Facebook 
and Twitter and other social media platforms uh, to acquire our truth or to acquire our news. Right. Uh, and the scary thing is, I don't know if that's better or worse than news outlets at yeah. this point. Um, but there's been authors like George Orwell and, and Neil Postman uh, that have written uh, about what happens when uh, individuals in power twist the truth. And, and there's always been this opposition to reason and process. In 1839, uh, Abraham Lincoln wrote the uh, Lyceum Address, which emphasized the voice of reason and keeping tyranny at bay, creating a file of law. So so what are laws that we put in place to keep tyranny at bay, at bay, but even when you look at um, right and wrong, or truth versus lie, or, or, or what is—I don't even want to use the word absolute truth because that's a that's a slippery slope to go down. Um, but Roth went on to say, uh, "There's individuals that that they want to hijack truth to keep what they think is true at bay." So, kind of jumping to that that postmodernity aspect. Uh, the reality of it is, and John, I know you'll probably point to this a little bit, but the internet has created dangerous silos and tribes. We don't know what's true and what's not true. We were talking about this earlier. There are more shared and read fake news articles than real news articles at, at this point. And when you say fake news articles, you're not even talking about a fake news article parading as a real one. You're no, saying like websites that like they're, they're not even trying to be real. Yeah, it's Babylon totally sad. Yeah. Babylon. But people, but people are sharing that like, man, did you see this? Yes. Did, did you see what this article wrote about this? Pick your topic. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine uh, is he, he writes for the Babylon Bee and it, it shocks him how, <laughs> how many times and how often they know that when they write, they're writing for, from an angle of satire. It is clickbait. I mean, that, that's what it is. That they're writing for the headlines. They're writing to be funny. They're writing to be humorous. Sure. But there are individuals that will share and quote and, and take it as gospel. And I think that's the, the scariness of, of our society. And so I'll go back to the propaganda aspect. Propaganda just pushes an individual's agenda based off things that aren't true. Not based off facts, based off things that just aren't true. I wrote this uh, in my master's program uh, that perception is not reality, but reali reality is relative to the person perceiving. Uh, and I think that's, that's the scary world that we live in. Um, we're no longer looking at our own truth, but we're looking at our truth based on things that just aren't real, based off of things like propaganda. So, so, do, you so do you think, because I, can, I think we all would would slowly begin to nod our heads and say we could see this as an age of propaganda and i like the way that you're you're thinking there and the way that you're defining that do you think that there will be a, a kind of a collective aha moment of a society of and the, and this propaganda isn't working and that will kind of pull back the pull back the curtain on this idea of there's no absolute truth. I think I think so in a sense. Uh, we've seen it in our society, uh, in the American side society. Uh, think back to the Vietnam War. Think back to Watergate. The government got caught lying, right? And so it was like this agenda that was being pushed, whether it was the, the idea of the war, what that was causing or why it was there, um, or the Watergate scandal. I, and the government got caught. 
So and and you know we can don't want, don't want to venture too far down that conspiracy theory, uh, but but I think it starts with individuals doing their own research, right? I, I think that the way that we attack it is that we have to do research for ourselves. We can't take an article that was written by whoever and take that as gospel. Uh, who did they quote? Where did they quote them from? Yeah. That's the scary thing. You yeah. have to go two and three layers deep to see where these. I'm using quote fingers right now sources came from right um, because i think what what's happening in our society and we see it on a daily basis is that things that are quoted just aren't aren't real sources right yeah, yeah. right so john you talked you talked about i remember you talking about this how journalism kind of the death of journalism yeah so i i think if you just go back and it's um, the scary part is we're not talking too long ago most people got their information, their collective truth from two or three sources that they trusted. Now, there was a point in time where that was really surrounding, you know, you think of dad pulling out the newspaper. It was a six o'clock ritual that every house in America <laughs> right, yeah. did. That's just what we did. Um, the advent of cable news. So now I have different sources of truth that I can pick and choose from. But even then, there was only one or two choices. The advent of the internet, um, Zach had mentioned clickbait has transformed journalism across the board. See, at one point where there's only one or two truths, I can source the truth. I can trust in the integrity of the journalist who's writing it. So you started hearing things like, well, I trust this this uh, author's uh, article or their column in a newspaper, right? Like, So people had their own columns and you can trust what's written in the column. Well, those things are gone now, yeah. and what's taken over is this wide, this wild world of clickbait and headlines, right? Yeah, sure. So now you consider clickbait traffic. All everything's tied to finances, right? So it's not about what's the content; it's how many people click to figure out what the content yeah. is. So it's just again, the quality of journalism is now about whether or not you clicked on something versus the content of what the something is. Well, and I I found myself. Finding that with the headline. Yes. Where the headline doesn't even match the article yep. that the same person wrote. Nope. So it's not like the article, I would say this, that the article was fairly fair. Yeah. I mean, it definitely had a political slant or an opinion, but the article was fairly fair. The headline wasn't. No. And the headline didn't match the article. I'm like, but what do most people read? Most people read that. The Stop at the headline. So yeah. to scare you a little bit, like this is what professional journalism today is, is the art of writing good headlines. Because what professional journalism journalists also know is that no one's going to read more than two or three sentences in. I would love to believe that we can return to a golden age where everybody's checking sources. But the truth is, not just in the internet age, but even in the mm. newspaper age, mm. the newspaper was created so you didn't have to check sources. So that I can trust in the author who's writing my column and I'm basing my truth based off of this. That's the, the nature of humanity. We're, we're trying to fast forward and do what's uh, simple. So... Um, to answer your original question, I actually believe, and this is probably a little bit of a, a pessimistic view, and I apologize ahead of time for my lack of uh, being cheerful in this, but I believe that we're moving to kind of a hyper sense of postmodernity. What I mean by that is even when you consider what's happened with COVID, we have seen a smaller and smaller, a, a shrinking of community. Um, at one point, a larger collection of community believed the truth. Everybody who read that newspaper or watched that 
TV show or that specific TV news agency, well, they believed in unison and uniformity. Um, then it became, okay, well, since there's so many choices, I'll start believing this community that, you know, maybe it's a couple hundred people who believe like me, maybe go to the same church or have the same political slant. But even among those groups now, we're seeing a hyper-individuality, which really points more to secularism as a philosophy than anything else. This idea that, again, individuals and what I believe becomes God. And truth bends to my belief and what I feel like is satisfying to me, right? Because, the, like, I can, we can all agree on some really basic things about truth. Um, and man, I don't want to go down this because we're going to get some emails. But think about where we are as we've talked about the flat earth. Think about where we are when we talk about vaccines. Truths that we've all known that everybody's kind of navigated for the last several decades, right? The second several decades of humanity. Now, all of a sudden, regardless where you believe on that, you can find quote unquote truth that appeals to the way that you feel and think. So now truth bends to who I am. Um, In his book, Reappearing Church, Mark Sayers says it like this, secularist progressive myth seeks to gain the fruits of God's kingdom, such as justice, peace, prosperity, and redemption, but without its king. And what he would surmise is that we replace the king of the kingdom of God with our own desires. And that's why I believe as we move further into this hyper-individuality, into this hyper-secularism, that post-modernity is just, it really just now becomes about trying to convince me. And then we can go back and forth about Facebook and Twitter as it pertains to our new source of news because it just really becomes easy to find my own truth. So I'm, I'm processing as I'm listening. So I'm just trying to summarize and wrap my head around this because I think that I think this is really important. And I could see, I could absolutely see this idea of hyper postmodernity. So if truth in modernity was give me the facts, prove it by facts. If truth in postmodernity is it's true if I experience it hyper postmodernity being i'm just trying to even define this in my mind hyper postmodernity being my truth is my truth and i'm not even open to hearing exactly any other sources so zach do you think that possibly instead of propaganda exposing postmodernity and being the death of it that it could actually feed could could you guys maybe be saying the same thing yeah, could think, propaganda be feeding where we may be headed of this hyper postmodernity I, I think the more that i listen to john no doubt because john what you're saying is that is the individual they, they just want to grab onto what they believe yeah. onto their experience yeah. and they don't want another experience nope and, and so with that they're not, we talked about, they're not going to do the two, the three, the four layers deep of research. If it makes them feel good, that's all I need. To, uh, that's all I want. I, I don't want anything that's going to make me uncomfortable outside of my own belief. And, yeah. and so what's scary is that you have the vast majority of individuals um, that are, are leaning into those headlines, that are leaning into that uh, tagline. Uh, and, and that's that's their truth. That's what they're holding on to. So not only does it speed it up, I think it makes it to where we're already there. I, I don't know that we. I, I don't know that we're 
um, still in a post-modernity. I would say if, if I think John just coined something new. <laughs> and I think we're already there. I think we're living in it. It, well, it feels like it. And at its core, it, you know, again, to kind of make that connection with the idea of secularism, like at its core is deconstruction. So to me, even when we talk about hypermodernity, at its core, like the objective is just to deconstruct everything that I don't believe, right? We will, so Facebook's power isn't just that it gives me what I support. It also gives me the stuff that's, that breaks down the things that I don't support. You know, you, you kind of understand that. Absolutely. Like, totally. So like you see this and, and um, you see this even in some of our approaches to some of the issues that have risen up in the last several weeks here as a country. Like they come to the surface and we don't know what to do. So we instantly start deconstructing everything. P.S. There are some things that we need to read this uh, to, to deconstruct. There are some things that we need to consider need change. There's some systems that we really need to put under microscopes and reevaluate. The problem with secularism, and I would, I would add that hyper postmodernity, is there's no talks of rebuilding. There's only talks right. of breaking down. Right. And that's the scary part. So I'm going to frustrate everybody, including myself, because we got to go. And I want to, but here's, here's what I want to do I want to set up our future things because there's two there's two things that I want us to launch off of in future episodes this idea of deconstructionism um, and which which really got that's where postmodernity kind of got its root I mean go go back to um, the author so Charles Dickens you can't you can't ask what Charles Dickens wanted you got to deconstruct that novel yep and then you just rebuild it according to your your opinion your belief um, there's a GK Chesterton quote that I heard from my brother years ago, and it's always stuck in my mind, and it was this. If you come to a fence in the woods, before you tear down the fence, maybe you should ask why it was built. Come on. So. Come on. Again, maybe there are some things that need to be deconstructed, but if you are deconstructing something based on a Facebook post mm. and not on understanding where that Come idea on. took root. And I've got, I got 10 podcasts in my mind now <laughs> right where now. we can <laughs> go with this. So just yeah. what if we did a series of podcasts on deconstructionism and just ask the question, okay, but let's get to the heart of where this movement democracy, yeah, where, because democracy right now is being de deconstructed and has been deconstructed in liberal universities for the last 50 years. Right. So now we're surprised as like, whoa, where is all this talk coming from of like socialism and different things like that? Well, it's because democracy and the foundations of democracy had been deconstructed in in universities. Um, but it was deconstructed. Well, anyway, I'm going to get off. <laughs> those, are, those are the next before you send the emails to to John Hernandez. Bring um, them on. <laughs> send them all but, to Zach. But that idea and and then and then the idea of. Um, and then the idea of just teaching people, we need to learn how to, yeah. how to engage sources again. Yeah. We need to learn how to think critically again, yeah. that you can't have deep and long conversations in 288 characters. Come on. So how do we think long through issues and how do we think deep through issues? So I'll leave you there. I'll leave you frustrated <laughs> if you stayed with us. 
this long on this topic. Congratulations. <laughs> you are a true fan of the Interabang Room, where, again, we're just encouraging people to live life with passionate curiosity.